everybody, Jimmy Smith. Today's Unlocking the Cage podcast features a discussion about the respect for Alexander Volkanovsky that he earned after UFC 266. I interview City Kickboxing's own Eugene Behrman, the head coach, about moving to the United States. And we react to the latest details on John Jones's arrest. I've been on the Volkanovsky train for a long time. But his last fight against Holloway, which I will not be a hypocrite. I thought he lost that fight. I I gave it to Holloway by one round. I believe that he had a major chip on his shoulder after that. He was always having to kind of defend himself in public. And it didn't help that against Calvin Cater, sorry, Kel, Holloway looked incredible, right? That people go, oh, man, he should be champion. Like, that performance, after a great performance against Volkanovski, he did have a great performance, whether you thought he won or lost, that he was always, like, having to defend himself against accusations that, he sh- that you know, Holloway's the uncrowned champion. So, basically, did this make you think, okay, Volkanovski's the champ and deserves his spot? Because a lot of people leading into, I would say, the ultimate fighter – were not of that opinion. They thought Holloway was the uncrowned champion. He loses in a rematch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, you know, I don't know about that, but that has nothing to do with Brian Ortega. And can he beat Brian Ortega? And is he, I think he carried all of that momentum into this fight. And I think part of the reason we saw so much BS between. Ortega and Volkanovski is that edge and that anger and that chip on the shoulder of people disrespecting him over the Holloway. Now, I thought Holloway won, but I do think Volkanovski is a legitimate 100% amazing champion. But a lot of people kind of thought he was he, they shouldn't be holding gold. Number 1, I know that's complicated. Is that, is that a fair assessment that he took that frustration into this fight, KOB? That he took that frustration of people disrespecting him out on Ortega a little bit. Why we saw more emotional Volkanovski. Yes? I think there was a hint of that. And I think that's one of the reasons why he was able to somehow withstand that guillotine. Because he was like, I'm not losing this belt today. Oh, my God. So, what do you do? Boom. You know, who does transitions better than KOB? Nobody. So, uh, this is uh, the post-fight press conference about the guillotine, mounted guillotine. Which, nine times out of ten, I'm telling you guys, you're done. A guy gets guillotine and mount a mounted guillotine, you are finished. Brian Ortega gets a guillotine from anywhere, a la Cub Swanson, you're done. Nine times out of ten. And I thought he was finished. This is what he had to say about it. It was, oh, fuck, I'm about to lose the belt deep. You know what I mean? Like it was, uh, but again, like the type of human being I am, you know, we talk about me, uh, you know, being going through adversity and, you know, always being prepared and busting my ass and never give up attitude and all that shit. That's just exactly what you're seeing. I was deep. That was as deep as it can get. No, no shit. As deep as it can get. I remember I was making weird noises. I remember I was sitting, I was like going, I don't know what noise I made, but I remember he even said I was gurgling, but that was like a weird, oh, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm about to lose this belt. Like, you're kidding. And I like, obviously kept fighting and just opened a little bit of space. I'm like, all right, I'm good. All right, I find this interesting, this next statement, because Brian Ortega is a, a fantastic black belt under Henry Gracie. Um, saw Henry Gracie get his black belt, by the way. I was at that tournament. Um, 
Incredible instructor, Hiron and Henry Gracie, uh, you know, at the original Gracie Academy in Torrance. So I'm surprised that he made this next statement about the technique of Brian Ortega. But he done a good job of really wrapping up the legs. You know what I mean? I didn't expect him to wrap up the legs so quickly. So then he had it, he had, had control of me while he had it deep, um, where I didn't expect to be there. So when I'm up, you know, posturing up and all that type of stuff, you know, he's throwing them up, but it gives me space. So I wasn't too threatened there. Uh, the boys were telling me to, like, more posture up, stand up. I thought they meant get the fuck out of there, which I don't blame them for saying that if they did. But they wanted me to posture up and just keep raining bombs. But, mate, I almost had him in the last, like, I was hitting him with big shots. It looked like he was done, but he come back stronger. So, again, I'm just going to give him credit. So, I think he's talking about the guillotine where when he was mounted, he, he wrapped his legs around the hips um, to control everything. That's what great guys do. <laughs> <laughs> Try, have you ever been in a good mountain guillotine? My instructor has a great mountain guillotine. Yeah, that's what the good ones do. You can't move your hips. One thing that I, I, I feel they need to explain sometimes to people who haven't been around it a lot, uh, I'm sure most of my listeners get it, but just in case. All that happens in a guillotine, worst case scenario is you pass out. It's embarrassing and it sucks, okay, but it doesn't do any physical damage. Getting choked out and getting knocked out are, are physiologically totally different things. Getting knocked out three times in a day you're going to get brain damage. Getting choked out three times a day, it just sucks. It's just embarrassing, but it doesn't do anything to you physically. So you'll see a guy like Volkanovski, he's going to fight until he's out. Because the worst that happens I got, you fight an armbar too long, yeah, you, you got some surgery ahead of you. He's getting choked out, it's no big deal. So also be like, oh, I thought he was going to tap him. Like, no, he's just going to go out, which who cares? So that's why he fought as long as he did. You can fight chokes longer because the consequences just aren't as severe. Um, discussing the win with DC post fight. It's from the Octagon interview. How did he get where he is that is seriously overlooked? Is what he had to say. Man, it's just say the preparation. I told you, I do that every time. I'm, mate, I'm not. Hey, I'm a normal human being. I've said it time and time again. Just hard work got to me where I am. Anyone can do what I've done. Anyone. Sky's the limit for any of you. Everyone back home in Australia. I know you're going through a rough time. I did this for you. To my family, to my teams, everyone that's backed me, everyone that's helped me. I did that for you. Thank you. All them doubters, I'm going to keep proving you wrong time and time again. Bring it. Oh, that's great. What I love about Volkanovski is I put Michael Bisping in this category where I used to show people back in the day when I, when I ran a fight gym. I would show them Michael Bisping. And I told Mike this one time. I showed my students Michael Bisping and said, this is how far you can get with hard work. He's not fast. He's not huge. He's not that strong. You know, he's just, he's got decent technique, meaning Bisping had, you know, nice hands, good footwork, and he has an endless gas tank he works his ass off. That's all that dude has. And in a division full of guys with a lot of physical gifts, you know, Luke Rockhold, Vitor Belfort, you know, Chris Weidman, he became champion. Just working his ass off. Just work. He just became a champion through hard work and dedication. No real athletic gifts. I could not show you a video of Vitor Belfort and go, I can make you like that. Unless you have Vitor Belfort's speed, I, I can't really do that. So that's Volkanovsky. And when I talked to him here on this show uh, last week, that's what he said. And I've interviewed him a lot of times, so, so I, I might be pulling from other interviews. But... He always says, like, I was a fat kid. 
I played rugby. I came in with no combat sports background. I was just kind of tough. And I've literally just been listening to my coach, Eugene Behrman, who, by the way, I'm talking to at 3 o'clock. Shameless plug. Um, is is I just listen to him, and I, I, I do what he tells me, and now I'm a champion. So 30 minutes from now, we will hear from Eugene Behrman about that ability, about that that. I'm telling you, as a coach, and I haven't coached in a long time, but give me 10 Volkanovskis before you give me one BJ Penn. And when I say BJ Penn, I mean just like a freak who just absorbs everything, world champion in three years, but he's an hour late to every single training. And I'm sorry I've heard that story 10 times about BJ Penn, okay? So there's that. And Volkanovsky's in that category of the dude just works his ass off. And, God, you got to love not just his performance in Brian Ortega. you got to love everything he brought into that fight. And Brian Ortega, one of the, t- the downsides of being an ultimate fighter. And this is kind of a weird question. You love reality TV, TV, Kelly, do you not? Sure do. All right, Real Housewives, like all day, just sitting Bachelor there. Bachelor Paradise is on tonight. Won't even move, special. right? Would you ever be on one? No. God, no. I love how you go, no. All right, why not? Because I don't want people knowing my reality. God. Exactly. I don't, that's no one's business. Right. But everyone else's can be mine, sure. Right, but when, like, even if it was just, like, going somewhere else, like that temptation island or some crap or you go somewhere other than home you wouldn't do that no i it just okay. i think it brings out the worst of people exactly thank you this is why i throw to you because great brian ortega kind of came out of the ultimate fighter looking like a d-bag he kind of came out looking like he looks right like i'm good looking i'm an hour late every day i show up when i want that he just kind of came off as a smug prick who doesn't have to work hard to get women Right, like we all know, KOB backed me up. Somebody in high school who looked like Brian Ortega was a D bag. Am I wrong? In high school, nearly every level <laughs> like, of life, in you know, every you know, aspect of life, like right, right. It's just like I'm so good looking, I can just be a jerk to everybody around me. Now, I'm not saying Brian Ortega is like that. I'm saying that's how we kind of came off, and that's what reality TV can do to you, right? And they have editors, okay. So Brian Ortega kind of came out the heel. He came out the bad guy. He came out. The one you weren't rooting for. Volkanovsky came out looking like the hard-working Australian, fun-loving dude who's going to go in there and give it 100%. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Eugene Behrman, head coach, city kickboxing. That's right, Dan Hooker, Alexander Volkanovsky, Israel Adesanya. It's almost like he knows how to coach. Eugene, how you doing, bud? Yeah, how's it going? Can you hear me all right? I hear you just fine, my man. Hear you and see you well. So the first thing I have to say, uh, what are you putting in the water, man? Because Volkanovsky looked absolutely fantastic. Dan Hooker looked amazing, UFC 266. What was that camp like, man? Was it like uh, getting guys ready for this particular event? Yeah, well, camp was uh, a, a little bit difficult for us um, yeah. down under uh, in Australia and New Zealand. But um, 
I mean, we, we used the modern day technology to communicate, um, being that we were separated and um, we kept the ball moving as much as we could. So um, it, it was it was uh, definitely uh, difficult under the circumstances, but, but um, we felt confident that we, we had enough uh, uh, under our hat to get the job done. All right, so yeah. one thing I have to ask, I remember hearing this about Mike Tyson once back in the day, um, that that Mike Tyson fought so frequently in his heyday, he fought like every couple weeks in the beginning, and Teddy Atlas said it kept him out of trouble. He, he, he was always in the gym because he always had a fight coming, and it kept him super-duper focused. As tough as the lockdown was, I interviewed Dan Hooker from your gym. I was like, no, we can't leave. We can't go anywhere. So, you know, we're sleeping here. We're eating here. We're training here. Has it led to a certain focus having everything locked down where, where they're just training 24? They're always with each other. Was it a, a benefit in a certain way? I believe so. I believe these concentrated periods where we just get to concentrate on, uh, you know, where we're just solely focused on training um, has been a, a, a big help. Um, I don't think you could sustain it. I think it'll start to turn the other way if you yeah. try to do that all year. But um, given that these lockdowns hopefully aren't happening or, or you know, for too much longer, um, I think we took the benefit of, um, of, of just that concentrated soul focus for sure. Definitely helped. Uh, talk to me. Take me back a little bit. And, of course, I'm talking to uh, Eugene Behrman, City Kickboxing Head Coach. Alexander Volkanovsky walks into your gym, right? He had played some rugby. By his own description, he goes, I was short, I was fat, I was a heavy little squat dude. Um, he says his work ethic set him apart. He goes, I just worked hard. That's why I am where I am. Talk about that process, man, with somebody who may have a little bit of physical talent but, but isn't super gifted. They just work hard. What's it like turning him into a fighter, man? Yeah, I mean – Alex has that the best work ethic I've ever seen amongst uh, a, a bunch of elite fighters. He's, uh, yeah, he's, I don't know. Uh, there's a certain part of that you're just born with. And then, you know, once you have that, like, once you have that in an athlete, um, it's so easy from that point onwards. When they're willing to do whatever it takes, um, no matter how difficult and push through, Honestly, those those are the those are a coach's dream, and those are the fighters you want to eventually. Uh, you know, if you're privileged enough, you want those fighters. You want to come across those fighters, and 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 you know, if, if I'm being honest, the process has been easy from that. Given that, you, I mean, people have to understand, I'm not Alex's head coach. He, he comes from another gym. I've only been with right. him the last three or four years. Um, but yeah, piece of cake with Alex when you have that sort of work ethic. People tend to confuse it where, like, you know, BJ Penn is always my example of, like, the uber-talented guy. He just seemed to get everything super quickly, but he didn't really have a great work ethic. People think, like, like that's the dream student, is the one that picks everything up quickly and just automatically everything clicks. Is that a double-edged sword as a coach, getting one of those guys? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, every, every coach will differ in, 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 in opinion. On which type of guy they want? Do they want the super talented guy, or do they want the guy with the super work ethic? Um, and most coaches will say that they want someone with both. Unfortunately, you <laughs> really, really get someone with both. In fact, yeah, uh, yeah, that that's that's like uh, yeah, I've, you barely ever see that. 
pers- me personally, I would rather have the less talented guy, but with um, the crazy work ethic, um, that's just my opinion. Does talent make you, in many ways, in the fight in the fight game, inherently lazy? Like, if you pick it up easier, something's easy for you. You get used to not working hard. Is that it? A lot of the time. Uh, it does make you inherently lazy. I, I, I think, in my opinion, when you when you get things a little bit. Um, when things come a little bit too easy for you and you don't necessarily have to go through the same process, it's um, someone who doesn't quite get in and understand it as well. Um, there's so much to gain from going through that process that, that uh, fighters don't understand. So um, it's not to say that they can't reach the same level of success. It just means that um, uh, it can be a little bit more difficult to train those guys. Uh, talking, of course, to Eugene Behrman from City Kickboxing. So, obviously, the big story, whatever he's talking about, is the possibility of City Kickboxing moving to the United States. Tell me about the factors in that. And what I'm curious about is, was it a matter of a lot of your guys wanting to move to the U.S.? Was it your idea? Were you following them? Were they following you? I- I'm very curious where the idea started, man. Yeah, look, at with with. Since it's been basically two years since COVID started and our, yeah. our country has been very restrictive and we've just been waiting for change and, um, and it's not happening and, and we're not able to progress in the same, for the last two years we haven't been able to progress in the same way as we would have if um, our country was a lot more, a little bit more liberal. So it's just got to the point where um, I, I just realized that for these guys to progress to where they should be and where they need to be, we're going to have to base ourselves uh, offshore. And and one of my other so, – so I got everybody together. I've got about – I've got 10 fighters, um, including a couple from the PFL, um, that that solely – you know, they, they do all their fighting in America. And um, I got them together and I said, the only way I'll go to America is all 10 of you agree to go together. If one of you doesn't, agree to go and wants to still train back here, then we all train back here. If, if all 10 of you agree to go, then we mm. all go. And um, they unanimous, unanimously um, understood what I was talking about and they wanted to wanted to um, base themselves offshore. So, yeah, it, it, looks like, um, it looks like that's what will be done. Well, talk about the complications. We were really worried, all of us uh, Dan Hooker fans, that – you know, uh, getting the visa, being there late, the weight cut on the plane, all this stuff. Talk about the complications of, of what it meant being in lockdown and having to get to the States. It must have increased your stress level by a factor of 10, man. What was that like? Yeah, the, uh, the most stressed I've ever been for, for, for a fight for sure. Um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, the truth is I never actually – saw Dan for the last four weeks of the camp. We saw each other at the airport when we departed. I hadn't seen him for a whole month. He hadn't had a single pad, hadn't had a training partner with him for four weeks. Like uh, We were a little bit naughty in New Zealand where we tried to sneak around because we're locked down. You're committed to staying at your house. We tried to sneak around and unfortunately we got caught by authorities and we got pretty sternly warned to... um, you know, to abide by the rules of everybody else abides by. And we were literally from that point on when we're stuck in our houses 
um, unable to leave or train. So he, he he did the last four weeks in his garage by himself. And uh, as you in can imagine, in his garage by himself. You're kidding me. No, no, that's that's that 100% true story. In New Zealand, you you cannot uh, leave your house, and one, only one member of your family can leave the house to get food. You're locked down, and we were breaking the rules and sneaking around, obviously because we've got a fight. And unfortunately, we got uh, we got caught by the, by the by the police, and we got pretty sternly warned that we'd be arrested if we continued to sneak around and not abide by the rules. So, at that point, we had no choice. Dan had to go to his house. I had to go to my house. Um, no going to the gym. No training partners. So, um, yeah, he, he he did the last four weeks by himself, literally in his garage. Couldn't go anywhere that, else. I, I mean, is that is that a credit to his ability? Like, like. You know, you weren't even around to coach him, and he had the performance that he had against Nasrallah Hakparast, who is a very good fighter. I, I, I don't even know what to say to that. He did it in his garage. Like that's yeah. how much faith. Well, like, what does that say about him as an athlete, man, and as a competitor? Yeah, but it speaks. It, it speaks to his. It speaks to what we we're talking about with Volkanovski. It speaks to his worth ethic. And it's, uh, it, it speaks to his just determination and his will. Because most, uh, man, there's, uh, there's a lot of people on that UFC roster that wouldn't have taken that fight under those circumstances. Um, but Dan, Dan has never, in his entire career, has never never walked away from a fight. A day's notice, two hours notice, a week notice, notice it doesn't matter. Um, he, he's That's just the type of person he is. Talking, of course, yeah. to Eugene Behrman from City Kickboxing. So, um... When it, it when it when it comes to that his plane flight his last minute visa were there talks with the UFC about giving him a break on the way in or doing a catchweight or anything like that? There was some talk about Dan. Dan immediately dismissed all. The Dan dismissed it. Dan really, he didn't to, want it. He, he he didn't want it. He he, he had been in his garage for four weeks training by himself, dieting to make the weight so he, he just like he he wasn't gonna um it wasn't gonna do his hard work and his dedication justice by um by get doing a catch weight when he'd done the work to do it so he just refused to do a catch weight that and obviously is... he felt that he, he could make the weight comfortably <laughs> that that that's unbelievable so uh one thing i want to ask you when you're looking at relocating to the u.s do you have spots in mind? Is there anywhere you think is open that, that that works for everybody? What's on your mind in terms of locations in the United States? You got anywhere you can suggest to me? I'm not. Oh, yeah, dude. Open. I, I, I'm in Delray Beach, Florida. I would love to have you here. I will grapple with you every single day. I absolutely love it. Uh, any place would, be, would love to have you, man. But uh, have you been to the States enough to know where you'd want to go? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've obviously been coming here for for a decade now, on and off. So, um, but we, we, I mean, the way we make decisions in our team is everybody has to come together and make a decision. So, there's obviously a lot of people involved. So, there's a big decision making process. But um, I, I don't know. Vegas seems like the obvious one. Fight capital of the world, uh, home of the UFC. Uh, Texas seems to be very liberal and open, low tax. Um, you got um, we got a, we got a good friend of our member of our team, Craig Jones, who just set up a gym there. So, um, yeah, yeah, San Diego. I've been thrown around. Um, the place that I look, one of my favorite places, 
funnily enough, in America's Boise, Idaho. Love so, Boise, man. It's a great town, bro. It really is. Yeah. I love Boise. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We, we, we haven't, yeah, we'll, we'll decide in due time. Well, if you're anywhere near me, I am definitely going to check it out. Um, last thing I have for you, man. You have so many guys, so many fights coming up. Uh, what's your next focus for you as a head coach? What are you gearing up for in terms of uh, the next big camp for you, man? So I got uh, Brad Riddell fighting Rafael Fiziev. Yep. Um, and a week after that, Kaikara France fighting Cody Galbrandt. But those guys do not have a voucher to get back into the country oh. so they when they get when they come over here and fight they will not be able to come back to new zealand so they they could possibly be stuck over here for six months um or longer so um and i will not be going with them they will be going by themselves because i cannot get stuck and we are not quite ready to be moved over here yet there's still a lot of stuff that we need to do um, that's still a couple of months away at least so um those guys are going to choose to leave the country to fight, but then they won't be able to get back into the country. Unlike me and Hooker, who happened to get a voucher, we can get back in. But those guys are going to be stuck over here. Well, man, I got to say, you're an excellent coach. You're dealing with a lot of stuff. I hope it all works out for you. I hope this all gets sorted out. And once again, if you're anywhere near me in South Florida, please <laughs> let me know, my man. I really appreciate your time, buddy. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Good to talk. Anytime, man. Eugene Behrman, City Kickboxing Head Coach. Great guy, great coach. Can't wait to see him in the States. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM Sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL. Taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. What I'm looking at right now is an article on TMZ.com. ESPN has a similar article out. It has pretty much the same information. So I'm kind of – I'm going with TMZ, but there's no real difference. John Jones allegedly pulled his, fiance, his fiance's hair and then head-butted a police car, leaving a dent in the hood and chipping paint during his Las Vegas arrest early Friday morning. So to make a long story short – uh, there was a police. There was a, a call to police about an incident in a hotel room involving a woman bleeding from her nose and mouth, and a black male adult who is a professional MMA fighter. I'm sure they thought, "Oh my God, this must be John Jones," because that's what he does. So, uh, the, the meat of the story here: the uh, alleged victim, John's fiance Jesse, the mother of his three kids, says that he pulled her hair and didn't hit me or anything. However, cops said when they noticed blood on her lip, which was also swollen, Jesse told cops it was because they were dry. Police also saw blood on her sweatshirt. Cops checked John and Jesse's hotel room and said they saw blood on the bed sheets. The ESPN article also says her cheek was swollen as well. Uh, who, uh, who called police? Well, 4.30 a.m., she asked for an additional room key. The security guard saw blood on her person and asked if she was okay. The guard claimed Jesse uh, burst into tears and said she was scared to return to her room. The guard then claims Jesse and his young and John's youngest child said, "Can you call the cops?" Um. Yeah. So that happened. 
John Jones apparently, according to the evidence of anybody with eyes, uh, at least put some hands on his fiance and pulled her hair and then slammed his face into a cop car. So that's where we are here. And also said while handcuffed, he began to sob and went through a roller coaster of emotions. This is an effed up dude doing effed up things. That's where we are. Um, from what I'm reading about the article, as in many of these cases, I do not see the fiance pressing any charges because she didn't want to even admit that he hit her, which he clearly did, according to the physical evidence. So, you know, will you do time for ramming your head into a cop car? Probably not. So this probably gets thrown out pretty quick. Maybe some minor charges, and that's it. So I was asked by one of my callers, does the UFC cut him after this? No way. No way. Once again, according to the article, and I'm extrapolating just a little bit, the fiancé is not going to press charges. She refused to tell the cops that he hit her, even though the physical evidence suggested he did. Um, so it's unlikely she's going to press any charges. Dana White's going to go, hey, look, you got, it'll probably be some drunken disorderly or something that you can pay a fine and get out of. And Dana White's going to say, hey, you know, what are you going to do? These things happen in MMA, right? So uh, we'll discuss next hour if they should cut John Jones. And obviously I'll get your opinions on it. But they're not going to let go of tens of millions of dollars. If they cut John Jones right now for moral reasons, okay, this guy's effed up, he needs some help, blah, 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 whatever, you know, whatever, you know, statement they could put out and cut John Jones, he'll fight somewhere else. As soon as he's released from that contract, he'll fight somewhere else and make someone else a ton of money. The UFC will never allow that. I don't know what, the UFC will never allow John Jones to make someone else money. And that's the heart of the issue. It's 100% the heart of the issue. If you let him out of his contract, he'll fight for somebody else and make someone else money. So the UFC will never cut him for anything other than terrible performances. But Jimmy, what if he kills somebody? Then they don't have to cut him because he's in prison. I went over this last week. It's like Bellator symbolically cutting War Machine as he's doing life in prison. Doesn't matter at that point. It's symbolic. Okay? They'll never actually cut him. So, is this reprehensible? Yes. It's 100% reprehensible. I'm really curious. Okay, so he hit a pregnant lady uh, in a car and then ran off. He got arrested for that. But he didn't necessarily know there was a pregnant lady in there. He just, you know, hit somebody, was probably high or drunk, and took off. Uh, what else? All his drug offenses, meaning, yeah, you piss off for cocaine and other substances. Okay, cool. I don't really care about that. Um, what else did he do? He ran into a pole with a couple of girls in his car. All right. Um, stupid, but it's kind of on you. Is this the worst thing morally that he's done? I'm going to ask Kelly Kell. Like, where you read the details and you go, dude, you're a piece of shit. Is this number one? Because yeah. the others were dumb, like, they were stupid, but you're like, okay, like, you know, right. firing a gun in really public. Dumb. Yeah, just right. dumb. really like, dumb, okay. but this is disgusting. Yes. It's not okay. 
Yeah. N- none of it's okay, but this tops the list. If KOB told me he did all those other things, I'd still work with KOB. Right? Now, if KB was like, yeah, dude, I was drunk, I hit a pole, and all right, okay, stupid, but all right. You know, oh, I did this, all right, okay, fine. You know, like, I'd be like, all right, just show up to work, okay? If, if KB was like, yeah, I was arrested for beating on my girlfriend, I want him off my show. Straight, I'd be like, hey, Marissa, not working with this guy anymore, okay? I, I don't believe in that. It makes me sick. I don't want anybody who will touch a woman on my show or near me, okay? Uh, you know, if I train with you, I'm going to hurt you. You know, like, one of those. I, I don't believe in that. I think it's horrible. And so uh, this morally just crosses a line that he hasn't crossed before. Everything else you could file under the really stupid shoot a gun in the air while drunk. Okay, but it's really on you. I wouldn't say they were victimless crimes, but you just, oh, it's dumb. That's dumb high school antics. Like, what is wrong with you? This is one where you go, dude, you are a real piece of shit. You are a real piece of work, man. You weigh, by his own admission, 255 pounds, putting hands on a woman for any reason. And uh, as it said in the article, his kid's there. So you're manhandling a woman in front of your kid? You're, uh, all those things make me sick to my stomach. I don't tolerate any of that crap from anyone around me ever. So I think this is going to be a a, a much bigger black eye metaphorically for John Jones in the UFC. But I stick by 100% what I said when this first broke, there will be zero consequences. His fiance will not file charges. It'll be some chicken shit, drunken, disorderly, and that's it. And he'll pay a fine, and that's it. The UFC will do nothing. They signed Greg Hardy, who had a similar incident. So, uh, yeah, it's it's nothing's going to happen. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.